We have many of our fine preachers in the district who, in addition to pastoring churches, these men work on a full-time job. Some of you here are in that category. I appreciate you very much, and I know that your problems are unique. Some of you took off from your job to be here today, and uh, many of the things that are, are scheduled here are in the frame of reference of uh, what we call a full-time pastor. Brother Jones has very successfully pastored a fine church in a metropolitan area, while at the same time uh, he holds down a job. And he is going to come and share with you a pastor and his leadership, his priorities, uh, while holding down a full-time job. Would you stand as Brother Jones comes? God bless you. Pastor at Metro. Why don't we lift our hands and worship the Lord together? Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Hey, man. Well, I'll try not to uh, take any more time than, than is necessary, and I certainly am not going to tell you how nervous I am and that my knees are knocking together, not after last night. But I feel it a great privilege to be here, and uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time telling you it doesn't take a lot of sense to know that many of you out there could be up here doing much better than I could do. But uh, like Brother Glass has said at least twice, I'm here because I was asked to be here. I want to share something with you about what has happened in my life when I went to work in a full-time job. I never held a public job until a year ago, and it's been quite an experience for me going from full-time ministry for about eight years into a ministry shared with a job. And um, there's been some rich moments, some inspiring moments, and there's been a lot of, uh, of times when it wasn't such an exciting thing to have to get up and go to work and then come in and phone be ringing off the hook and, and barely time to change clothes and go out again to help somebody else. But um, uh, if anybody should have an understanding of the the basics of life, life and death, right and wrong, uh, good and bad, heaven and hell, it ought to be us. Living is a, is a complicated business, and uh, it takes, um, takes a, a deep understanding. And I think that this is a subject that touches us deeper than sometimes we really recognize. I wonder how many of you here have, are either now or have at some time worked concurrent with your ministry. The same time you were either pastoring or a minister. That's just about every one of us. So I think there's something that we can perhaps glean as we uh, discuss together the fact of the working pastor. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Uh, you know, when I, when I came to work, when I came down to the decision about, about working, um, there was a lot of things that I... Uh, I turned over my mind. A lot of people that I called up and I talked to and I had a lot of friends who advised me this way or the other way. And I came to find out, much to my surprise, that, that a lot of folks are, are not decided in their mind to whether a preacher ought to ever work or not. Uh, whether or not it's, it's um, a good thing or a bad thing. Or whether it's um, uh, something that should be avoided at all costs or whether it's something that should be accepted 
uh, from time to time. So I did a little time and studied in the Word of God a little bit about what the Bible says about a working pastor. And I found some things that um, excited me and at the same time sobered me when I began to talk about and think about going to work while I was pastoring a church. The hard realities of life is that we've got to make a living some way or another. We've got to get our hands on a little bit of money so that we can buy what we have to have to survive. And when uh, when we get married and uh, start a family, then that complicates it that much more. And we cannot escape the fact that we've got to make a living. I don't care what we're doing. We've somehow got to make it. So the first question I had to decide was, is it right or wrong? Should a pastor ever work? And I came to the conclusion that for a pastor to work is an unusual situation. It's not the usual. That is, it's not the thing that is uh, in the perfect will of God uh, in every case. So I studied in the Word of God and I found out that as far as I could find out, there are two uh, situations that could dictate whether a pastor or any preacher, I suppose, uh, should work. Uh, The Apostle Paul was preaching on that last night when he was talking to the church in Ephesus. And he told them, he said, You know that all my time here, he said, These hands provided for my needs and the needs of those who were with me. The Moffat translation has Paul saying, these hands of mine provided for my needs and the needs of those with me. And I drew the conclusion that if there is a definite need in the family of that pastor, then it can be the will of God for him to go to work. I also find Paul uh, writing to the Corinthian church. He said, I had every right in the world to expect you to support me and you to take care of my needs. He said, however, I did not want to be a burden to this church, so I took care of my own needs. And so I came to the conclusion that if the finances of the church are such that it becomes a definite need for the pastor to work, he has Bible grounds to do it. I think the greatest working pastor I ever found any record of was the Apostle Paul. He worked in at least three of the churches that he began in the New Testament. And there's some evidence that in nearly every one of them, at one time or another, the Apostle Paul supported himself as as a working pastor. Now, I did reach a conclusion then that, in a very simple way of putting it, if there is a definite need, uh, then we should uh, go to work. Now, I evangelized for six years and, and I preached for some... Uh, well, I preached for various uh, different uh, pastors with various different outlooks. I told a young minister that I've known for about ten years. We both started preaching about the same time. We both came from backgrounds, no preachers in either of our families. We didn't know anything about the ministry. And I told him, I said, it is an absolute miracle that we even survived. Brother Chance knows I was in Monroe in college when God called me to preach. And Brother Chance, it's a miracle that I'm still in the ministry today, as ignorant as I was. And then I got out and began to preach and meet various pastors, and I heard all kinds of theories and all kinds of ideas. And I remember I preached for working pastors and non-working pastors, some that was working and shouldn't have been, and some that wasn't working and should have been. I preached preached for a pastor one time that lived in a rat hole, and after six years of evangelizing, 
I've stayed in a few, uh, for lack of a better term, rat holes, really have. And, um, but I don't know, this man was living in one. His, he had about four children, uh, best I remember is four children, and, and they lived in a rundown shack, and uh, there was no air conditioning. They, uh, <clears throat> they had nothing of any of the, of any of the basic comforts of life. Uh, I ate, I ate watermelon and red beans until I was sick of it, but that's all they had. And I talked to him one time. I said, brother, isn't there something you can do? His church was very small, a very small home missions work. You know, had a very few members. There was almost no income. And, uh, I said, isn't there something you can do? He said, but brother, I want to be in the will of God. You know, before I left, I realized that he just didn't want to work. That's all there was to it. He spent his time fishing and he spent his time hunting and his youngins didn't have shoes to wear and clothes, proper clothes on their back. And I came to the conclusion that if there is a need in your family, those, Paul said, that were with me had their needs taken care of by these hands of mine. I don't think that we can stand before God justified. And this is my opinion. When the Bible says if a man will not provide for the needs of his household, he is worse than an infidel. I think that's me too. I think I'm in that. And so, if there is a need in our family, and if there's a need in our church, I think we are justified to go to work. This particular man, he's not with us anymore. He had other problems in his life. Finally caught up with him, but um, they couldn't even paint the church, and it needed painting so bad. Um, they could not, they couldn't do anything to, uh, do anything to reach the laws. And, uh, it was just because there was no money. And I came to realize that, that God is not pleased when we spend our time, uh, fulfilling our desires and doing what we want to do when there is a need that we could through our hands fill in the kingdom of God. Now, on the other hand, I came to the conclusion that if there is not a definite need, we've got no business working. I don't think we ought to go get a job in order to buy luxuries. You know, evangelizing is not the highest paid position in the world. And uh, then I went to a church that was paying about $500 a month and uh, living in New Orleans, that was very difficult. And then I, I went two years like that. The church began to grow. The income increased. But it, uh, finally, the church finances reached such a point that uh, I was having to give so much back to the church. And I began to... I went to work. And suddenly, I went overnight, so to speak, from, from bare necessities to where I actually had some money left over at the end of the month. I felt like, I felt like a millionaire at the end of that first month. I was able to take care of the needs of the church. I was able to take care of the needs of my wife and I. And I actually had money. And I faced the first check almost that I got. I faced the, the, the temptation. In fact, I went home and I told my wife, I said, man, this is great now. This is great. The church is still small enough that it's, it wasn't too much of a finance, or rather physical burden. And I said, you know, if I'd stay with us about two years, we'd be fixed up for a long time to come. And something smote my heart. Something said, you've got no business working past the point of need. When there is no more need, you need to quit that job and pastor your church. 
I don't think God is pleased for me to work to buy $300 suits and $150 shoes and drive a fine car. I don't think God is pleased for me to do that. I don't think God is pleased for me to work to build a nest egg for the future. I don't think God would be pleased for me to work to keep up with the Joneses. I've got news for you. I can't keep up with them and I am one. And you'll never keep up with them either. It is impossible to do it. We must guard against working just to have the pleasures or the, the finer things of life. I think the basic needs should be tended to. I don't think we ought to have to live in the evangelist quarters all our lives. I think we ought to have a nice place to live and have good things. But God help us be spiritual enough and close enough to God that when we don't need to, we don't. We shut it down and we start doing what God has got for us to do in life. Because working, a working pastor faces <clears throat> dangers. There are dangers in working while we try to pastor. The first danger that I have felt in my spirit, my life, is the danger of the love of money. One fellow was talking one time and he said they were, they were dealing with the carnal nature in war against the spiritual nature. And you've all taught on that and you all are aware of that. And he said, well, the best way I know to describe it is within me there are two dogs, a white dog and a black dog, and they're always fighting. All the time fighting, just, just all the time. The fellow said, well, who wins? And that fellow, the preacher said, well, whichever one I feed the most, he's the stronger. And do you know that within each of us, the carnal nature is still there? And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that means me, preachers, as well as saints. You know... When you've never had anything much and suddenly the wife can go out and buy a new dress and new shoes and you move out of the evangelist quarters into a decent place to live. You can, you know, you run down to wards and you open up an account. You get a visa card, you know. You've never even seen one, hardly, much less had one. I tried to get one one time and they said, we're sorry, they, I think they wanted to send me money instead of giving me a card. And they found out my income... But you can do these sort of things and pretty soon, you know, if you got kids, you can buy them that go-kart they wanted. You can actually do the things you never could do. And I think that that old nature will rise up in you. And if you're not careful, you will come to love, not money. I don't think anybody really loves money. There's probably a few, but most of us love the things that money will buy. And if we're not careful, we can love them to the exclusion of fulfilling God's will in our life. I tell you what Jesus said, and I, I remind myself of this every, every day, that, that Jesus said simply, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. And he made it very clear what he meant when he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot uh, bring in correlation. A love for this world and a love for the world to come. You cannot bring in your one heart a love for the things that money will buy and the things of the kingdom of God. Now, if there's a need, then we need to meet that need. But if not, it is a danger to work because we want to buy things that are not necessary in life. If we're not careful, we will fall into the danger of living it up. For example, and, and I don't know if these, term, if these figures would relate to you at all, but 
Suppose, for example, the needs of your church and the needs of your family, uh, maybe in your area it would be high, maybe in your area it would be very low. I don't, it's, not, it's not a reflection of my needs, but it's just a figure I took. Suppose you need $2,000 a month. But the best the church can do for you is 1500 a month. And so you go get a job and you're like me, you're not skilled at anything in particular when you go to work and the best you can do is about $1,000 a month. And so suddenly you need 2000 you go from a 500 deficient to a 500 surplus and you've got $500 at the end of the month left over. Church doesn't really need it. Uh, you don't really need it. And if you're not careful, you will go to Penny's and Sears you will get a Visa card, and pretty soon, instead of needing 2000 a month, you'll need 2500 a month. And the day that you can leave that job and become full-time again will forever recede into the future, further and further and further, until you will find yourself locked in by your obligations to where you will be a working pastor all your life, if you're not careful. Or unless God gives you a tremendous revival and the church income jumps suddenly. So there's a danger in that. And thirdly, and then I'll move on, there is a danger. A man by the name of Gerald Kennedy wrote a book called The Seven Worlds of the Minister. I want to quote from him. He said, a friend of mine who has been in the ministry for many years said what troubled him more than anything else was that so many preachers he knew. Now these were not Pentecostals. I think he's a Presbyterian. So many preachers he knew were really not very religious men. I have come to realize that if I am carnally minded, I had better not go into the world and work. If I don't know how to pray now, I'd better not go get a job. If I don't know how to fast now, I'd better not go out there and become uh, closer to the world than I am uh, secluded, so to speak, in a ministry. I need to guard my personal life. That carnal nature is there. I didn't hear a man curse for almost five years until I got a job. I'm talking about on any kind of regular basis. And now every day I hear someone use curse words. And I don't know about you, but it affects me. Not that it wants, causes me to want that, but I feel a carnal nature within me that responds to my atmosphere that I find myself in. And if I don't pray, and if I don't fast, I will become carnally minded. I will adopt the attitudes of those I work with. I will begin to look at things through their eyes instead of through the eyes of the Spirit. I'll talk about the wrong kind of saints on Monday morning. I won't talk about my saints. I'll talk about, not Brother Cupid's, but the New Orleans saints instead of the things I should. I'll find myself touched by them instead of them being touched by me. When I went to work where I worked, uh, a man told, well, several of the guys were there, several of the men I worked with, and they were laughing and talking. Of course, I made things clear at the outset that I was a pastor of a church and so on. And, and one of them told me, said, you're Pentecostal. I said, that's right. He said, we had a Pentecostal here, uh, a man here just before you came to work. And said, he told us he was a preacher. I don't know what kind of Pentecost he was. I don't have any idea. I said, is that right? He said, yeah, but in six months he was just like us. And I said, well... I said, maybe you're going to be surprised. Maybe in six months, you'll be just like me. Both 
of us were disappointed because I've been there a year. I'm not like they are, and it took me a year, but two Wednesday nights ago, a young man I work with came to church, and I watched him sit under the preaching of the Word of God, and tears well in his eyes. And after church, he said, Jerry, I'd love to have that Holy Ghost that you or he was preaching about tonight. I believe something's going to bust loose when you get on the job. It's going to be you or them. We're in a life and death struggle. We need to guard against the carnality of the world within our lives. It's a danger to be out there. I didn't realize what it was like evangelizing. I had all day to myself. I could pray and fast and seek God and get a message for that night and preach every night. I was with pastors all the time. I lived in a secluded world. I didn't know what it was really like. But when I got out there, I found out I need God every day. I cannot live in a vacuum. I've got to have the Holy Ghost every day that I live. We must guard against the dangers. There's not only dangers to us as people, as individuals, but there's dangers that our churches face. A a working pastor cannot be as effective as a full-time pastor. It is utterly impossible. You cannot give to every need that you could before. pastor told me just last night, he said, the greatest um, burden or the greatest problem I faced was Wednesday night service. He said, there's just almost no time, of course, during the week. And then you come in at 5 o'clock or 4.30 on Wednesdays. You've got to be in the pulpit at 7.30. You don't have time. Oh, I thank God for Brother Glass and those. I told somebody I'm going to go home and I'm going to teach a series of six lessons. And I feel it's the will of God for me to teach on the will of God. You'll find your Bible lessons becoming more shallow than they were. Not necessarily more simple, but more shallow because you lack time. You lack time. The weekends, he said, were not as bad, but Wednesday night was bad. You will teach your church, if you're not careful, not to call you when they have a need. Because, you know, we like to complain sometimes about our churches, but our people are compassionate people. My people realized when I went to work that I had to have my rest and, and I found that oftentimes they were sick and did not call me because they did not want to bother me. Of course, I told them I, that I would not stand for that. I wanted them to call. I had to know. And, um, but if we're not careful, we will teach our church not to call their pastor. And thirdly, our people will not get the attention that they need in their personal lives if we're not careful because you're in such a hurry all the time that you don't recognize individuals in your church and sometimes needs have grown very bad before you realize what's going on. But there are benefits to holding a job. First of all, suddenly you're free from financial worry. And that is a tremendous benefit. Uh, They tell me that in dealing with marital problems, if there's a financial problem in that home, there will almost all the time follow marital problems because of stress, and worry and strain. And I believe that when there are financial problems in a pastor's home, there will also be stress and worry and strain. And if there's financial problems in a church, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is worry, stress, and strain. And so the benefit is very simply that these things are taken care of. Secondly, I came to understand the world outside the ministry better than I ever had. I left high school, I received a scholarship, I went to a university. 
I was there a year. God called me to preach. I didn't have any better sense. I just started preaching. I evangelized full-time. And full-time meant $30 a month sometimes, but I was full-time for six years. I immediately took a church in Metairie. I did not work. I did a little side thing sometimes. But I never held a public job until just a little over a year ago, and I didn't know what it was like. But I do now. A little bit. I came to understand my people better. Because after all, my men were getting up every morning and going to work and working a job and coming home. And suddenly I came to understand them better. I came to relate better with their problems. And now when they drag in tired, I can understand because I'm dragging in tired too. And I am less prone to gripe and growl and fuss at them because they don't shout the aisles and jump the pews. Because I don't feel like doing it either. I came to relate to my people better because I am in their shoes. And then fourthly, but of course not less, is that I have come to meet more people that are in definite need of the gospel that I possibly would have never met as a person, as a, as a uh, individual through my ministry. It has blessed me as a person and my personal uh, contacts with the world. I have learned so much about the world in the last year that I never knew. I received the Holy Ghost at the age of 13 on this campground. My folks were not Pentecost, but from that, from about the age of 11 in my life they were. And I didn't know what was out there, but I have caught a glimpse of it. There are definite disadvantages that may not be dangerous in themselves. The disadvantage of physical exhaustion. Have you ever preached just, just exhausted? I know you have. You can't get your breath. Have you ever noticed that? You really get down on it and you can't get that point out. Because you're, you're just physically unable to do it. Pastor told me, he said, my greatest burden was I drove, I think he said, a hundred and some odd miles one way. Worked three days a week. Drove back in by Wednesday night service and said I was exhausted. I would get up and begin to preach or teach and I did not have the physical stamina to go through with the message that I wanted to give. That's a problem. And physical exhaustion will unavoidably lead to mental exhaustion. Not long ago, I got to, I had Wednesday night service, I believe it was, it might have been in revival, but after church there were some people with some problems, of course that's just about the only time you have to deal with them when you're working, and so I stayed at the church and uh, dealt with a few things, counseled people or whatever you, you want to call it. And, and after service, it was about midnight or so, 12.30, maybe 1 when I got uh, in bed. I went to sleep and about 3.30 or 4 o'clock the phone rang. I answered, or my wife answered the telephone. And it was a man who was a father of some of our bus children who had been in our services, touched by God, had just tried to commit suicide. And they called me, they wanted me to come. And I am, I am, I'm sincere with you. I am ashamed to say that I was resentful. I got out of bed. I told my wife, I said, tell him I'll be over there in just a few minutes. I had three hours until I was due on the job. I knew I wouldn't get any more sleep. I had just slept three or four hours. I was tired. I was mentally tired. I, physically tired. I got up, I got dressed, and I got in the car, and I was mad. I really was. I was mad. I said, don't these, these folks know I work a job? Don't they know I've got to be on the job at 7 o'clock and they call it 4 in the morning? I'd have 
You know, I'd have been happy to have got down and prayed for them there at home and said, Lord, bless them, call the doctor. Call her name. But as I was driving along, the Lord touched my heart and I began to cry. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Paul said, I am willing to spend and be spent for you. When I got to their house, they saw the tears, I guess, on my cheeks. And I walked in the room and that man, he had not succeeded, of course. But he got up from where he was and he reached over and he grabbed my hand. A sinner, he didn't know anything about the Lord. He'd been in service maybe once or twice. Tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, Brother Jones, I'm so glad you came. And you know, I came to realize that that is one of the great disadvantages because you give eight hours a day to make money. And it affects you the other time that you should be able to give of yourself to others. Another pastor told me, he said, I find it, I find it hard to be enthused. When I work eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, I find it hard to be enthused about church all the time. Well, I think that's a problem I had before I started work, but it just became more acute. You find it hard, you know, to jump around. And Somebody said, you know, if you're not prepared to preach, you just get them shouting. Well, what do you do when you're not prepared to preach and you're too tired to get them shouting? He said, I find it hard to be enthused all the time. Well, that's a disadvantage. That's one of the things you cope with. Another fellow told me, another pastor that I asked about it, I asked a lot of men much older than I am that had been doing it much longer than I have, and he told me I found a danger in an independent spirit. One fellow went so far, one minister went so far to tell me, I felt as independent his term was a polar bear on ice. Them big tide payers that was giving me all the problem said I told them there was the door. They could hit it running. As far as I was concerned, I was making my living. I have found myself readjusting my priorities when I went to work. I know that the time problem can be conquered. And I'll tell you how I know it. I know it because the Apostle Paul, in his years of ministry, not counting... The, the journey to Rome traveled something around 8,100 miles without a jet, without a train, without a car, without any modern conveyance at all. Usually or many times on foot, sometimes by ship, uh, I'm sure many times by mule or horse. But at, during this travel of 8,100 miles or so, he, he wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. He developed himself. In, don't think it was a natural talent. Paul had to work at being a preacher, but he developed himself into the world, one of the world's most effective preachers. He was one of whom it was said, He that hath turned the world upside down hath come hither also, and all the time, or nearly all the time, he was either in jail or a working pastor. So he conquered the time problem. I found myself doing mainly, mainly three things. I find my time divided usually within these three things that have become to me the most important priorities of my life. First, my personal devotion and preparation as a minister of God. I have a little thing in my office and I keep it there says if a man's too busy to pray, he's busier than God wants him to be. And I try to remember that. 
You know, when I come to these meetings, I go home feeling guilty. I'll confess. If you confess, you do too. Because I am... I, I'm telling you today that I am not that much of an organized person. When I got that letter, Brother Tinney, and you told everything I was going to be telling these people, I got scared because I said, I'm just not that organized. And I know that there are only... There's really one best way to be sure that you deal with your personal devotion to God in light of the drain of time that working places upon you, and that is that you set aside a certain time every day. I have working pastor friends who get up before they work and do their devotions. They pray and they study the Bible. Now, I'm a night person, and it's not really my freshest moment when I first get out of bed. I'm like a dodge, you know, wham, 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 wham. It takes me a little while to get wound up. And uh, if I tried to pray when I first got out of bed, I'd, I'd be honest with you, I've tried and I usually just go back to sleep. So I have found that I usually do my best praying immediately after I get off work. Usually, if I go home and sit down and pick up the newspaper, I'm through for the day. But if I will stop by the church or either go home and go into the uh, study I have upstairs and kneel and begin to pray and study my Bible, then I am still fresh. I'm already going and I can, I can take care of it. Your experience, of course, would be different. But there must be, there must be an adherence to your personal devotions to God. It must be. You can't survive without it. It's not just that your people are going to know you don't pray. It's not just that your sermons are going to be empty and shallow and you'll be blowing your horn without taking any hay. It's more than that. It is that you are putting your own soul in jeopardy every day that you do not talk to God. And so you must do that. And I find that I must put that high on the list. I must put it first. I must stay in tune with God. And then I have found, of course, that it's, very, it's more difficult to fast when you're working a job and you're putting forth the energy levels that are necessary to do a good job. And I happen to believe that if a man pays me for an hour's work, I should give him an hour's work. I don't believe in loafing on the job. The day I start loafing is the day I'm going to quit. And so I expend the energy levels necessary to do the type of job. I happen to hang wallpaper, which involves a lot of reaching, a lot of ladder climbing, and usually at the end of the day, my legs and feet are killing me. But I have found that even with the expenditure of the energy and the physical resources necessary, I must fast. I've got to do it. I can't stop. Or I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with my soul, spiritually. I must remember, of course, my study time. I must study. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm a young man and I, I, don't, I don't even really know why I'm up here. But if you've only got two hours a day to read, you don't have time for Louis L'Amour. You just don't have time for that. I'm not saying it's wrong or it's right, but I'm telling you, you don't have time for it. If you go out and get a job, you can take all your Louis L'Amour and give them to some other preacher. He'll probably appreciate it. Now, I don't read them. I, I'm, I'm told that I have some brethren who do, and that's their business. But if you only have two hours a day, you don't have time to read things like that. 
In fact, you don't really have time to scan the newspaper in a leisurely fashion like you used to do. I take several magazines and I've found that I must even ration the time that I have to look through the news magazines. I must reach uh, for the most important. I have time to read the theater section. I don't have time to read the movie section. I don't have time to even look at those pictures. I've got time only to get what's necessary and put it down. Because I must not forget the Word of God. I must not do that. I must not forget my study time. Um, you may not get anything out of sermon books. I'm sure most of us do. Uh, I, I found myself a lot of times becoming too dependent on sermon books. Mr. Chappelle is tremendous, and Mr. Spurgeon and so on. If you like Mr. Truett and all the rest of them, but they are no substitute for the Word of God. And so we must learn to control our time that we have. My second priority that I have found that uh, has taken second place in my life is my pastoral demands. That is, sick people must be visited. I feel that that is, uh, I feel that that is an imperative. Uh, when my folks are sick, whether they're in the hospital or not, if it's, I, I, I call them and I say, I may be late tonight. I may be nine, ten o'clock tonight, but I will be there. And I go. Uh, on Saturdays, of course, I'm very busy all day. But um, then I have found that I must strive to do the best I can with new converts. If I'm not careful, they will be left to somebody else, and usually the wrong person. I must, of course, my pastoral demands on uh, visiting uh, new, new uh, visitors. I have found that this falls low on the list, and I'll tell you why, because it is literally impossible. Now, you may not have this problem, and that's, that's fine, but for example, this past week, and it's not always this way, and I don't want to lead you to believe that we always have a tremendous amount of outside interest because we don't always have it. But this past week we had something like 10 or 12 people that have never been in our church before to visit with us. Um, along with the people in my church who are ill, it would mean that I have something like 8 to 10 to 12 visits to make this week. And I don't know... Uh, I, that is just literally impossible for me to do. I just don't have the time. It cannot all be done on Saturday. It cannot all be done because we have Tuesday night prayer meeting. We have Wednesday night service. We usually have a Friday night service. And so I find my third priority is training people to help me. If I do not train people to help me, then something goes undone. And so I find myself devoting more and more of my time to devising proper means and training people to help me do the visitation and the other things that need to be done. I have had two men, starts a young men, one of them was older than I am, to come in and help me as, as assistant pastors or whatever. And I have found that really that's not the answer. It's good, it's wonderful, and, and if you know anybody, a good... The Holy Ghost still, man, let me know. But anyway, I've found that's not always the answer. I have found that I must train my church members, my saints, to help me. Uh, I've trained them to keep accurate records. I have, I've tried various programs since I've been there. I, I believe if one thing stops working, it's time to change it, start something else. And uh, we have uh, weekly prayer meetings where ladies gather and pray for 30 minutes and they visit. Uh, men gather for 30 minutes to prayer and then they visit. We alter this from time to time, but they are helping me. They are making not 
pastoral calls, but they are visiting visitors. <coughs> excuse me, have been in our services. They are visiting people that we have got their name through various means of contacts. They're doing home Bible studies. They're, they're working in various ways. And they're doing things that I don't have time to do. And they're helping me. But they must be trained to do it. I find myself spending more and more time, and i got so many nuggets already in this pastor's seminar, of ways to help my people. We keep accurate records on all of our visitors. No one is visited by anyone in our church that the one who does the visiting does not write a short report of what happened while they were there. And then when we, every new first-time visitor to our church gets three visits, try to do within the next month after they come. And I try to make one of those visits. But it is such that that I can go to their file and pull their file and I can go through. I know who has visited them. I know when they were visited. I know what they had to say, what their reaction was, how they feel. I've tried to train my people to do this. For example, not long ago, I visited a man who had been in our service once. He had, it would have been about two months since he had been in the service. He had been visited by two other men on two various occasions. I went to his file. I pulled out and Brother Eames, one of my finest visiting uh, visitors, had a, had a short report. And I found out in this report that this man was troubled by guilt. He did not feel that God could forgive him for his sins. I possibly would not have known that had God not chose to reveal it to me. I went to his house, I sat down, I began to deal with him. I began to talk with him. And I did not bring it up that baldly. But I began to talk about the love of God. And I began to talk about how good God was. And in the course of the conversation, I said, Do you know the Lord is so wonderful and so good that no matter how bad we've been, His Word promises us that He will forgive us. And when I said that, I could almost see a weight lifting from the shoulder of this man. He actually straightened up on the couch. He said, Preacher, is that the truth? Does the Bible say that? And I said, Yes, sir. That's exactly what the Bible says for you. We must work together. You must have help. You can't make it alone. These are things that need to be done. I find myself training my people more and more to take on more of the load. And of course, as your church grows, maybe it grows physically, but not necessarily financially, to where you have more and more burdens. You know, I really don't have time to take care of the building at, at our place. Uh, I do what I can. I've cleaned out the commode a lot of times. I've scrubbed the floors and vacuumed, but I don't have the time, so I must have help. Somebody must help me. And I, I believe from the bottom of my heart, whether you've got a small church, a, a little bit larger church, if you have to work, your people will be compassionate if you teach them that they will help you. They will help you. These I find to be the three priorities that I have set. I, I feel like, it's my opinion, that there are three things to look for in a job. The time consumed, time necessary, the image you will project in that job, and the energy requirement for that job. I, um, I believe that not every job available should be taken by a pastor. I don't think you ought to work in a bar. I, I don't think you ought to do anything like that because of image problems. Now, the time problem is very important. I have been approached. I hang wallpaper for a living. I don't mind telling you that I get paid $7 an hour. I can hang... I usually hang 15 to 18 rolls a day. My boss charges 8 to $10 a roll. Uh, I hang about two rolls an hour, so I make seven, and uh, usually he makes about 10. Somebody said, Brother Jones, um, why don't you work for yourself? 
and then you'd get, you know, you'd get the ten dollars a roll or eight dollars a roll. And I have considered that, and, and to be honest with you, I have done that from time to time. But I have found that for me to develop that kind of business, it would consume more of my time than I'm willing to put in it. I can make it on what he is paying me, and so I am doing that. Uh, I know men that say, once I get my business going, I'll be freer to pastor my church. And in hard fact, they are more busy than they would be if they went out and got a nine-to-five job. It actually consumes more of their time. We must watch the time consumption of the jobs that we choose. I know you can't always choose, but I'm talking about if possible. And then we must watch the image of our job. You know, I don't want people when they see me coming knowing I'm going to hustle them into buying something. I want to be free to present the gospel of Jesus Christ when I come. And so I chose the kind of job I have so that I'm not known as the... as the politician or, or salesman preacher, and there's nothing wrong with that type of job, but I wanted to watch the image that I would project in my job. And thirdly, I wanted to watch the energy drain of my job. I didn't want a job that, that would so drain me of my energy that I was unable to pastor. Uh, we must be careful about shift work, night work, long hours. We must, um, we must be careful about the kind of a boss that we have. He must understand that when someone's going to be operated on, I am going to be at the hospital. He must understand that when someone, there is a funeral, I will be at the funeral. He must understand that I am pastoring a church first and I'm working for him second. I know that's not always possible. I know that's not always, but I believe in this, what I've learned about the job market is there's so many loafers and so many people that don't want to work that if you'll work for him with all your heart, when you go to him and say, I need to be off for four hours today, he'll say, yes, sir, you go right ahead. That's fine. Because he values you as an employee. My boss knows the day's coming, I'm going to leave him. But he has told me time and time again, if you ever need to work after you leave, or if you stay with me, no matter what happens, you've got a job. Because I value you as an employer. I think if we give it all we've got, the Lord will help us be able to pastor our church as well as work. In closing, I want to say that I've always been a dreamer. Sometimes, I think I suffer because I'm more of a dreamer than a doer. But I had all kinds of dreams. Before God called me to preach and I got the scholarship, I was a physics major, I was going to the aerospace. I had it all figured out. I knew just what I wanted to do. I knew how much money I was going to make. I knew what kind of car I wanted to drive. I knew everything. I was a great dreamer. God changed that dream. Now I dream about being the kind of man God wants me to be. I'm going to be honest with you. I dream about pastoring a good, strong, not just a big, but a strong, spiritual, effective, world-shaking church. I, I'm in Metairie because I believe and I feel in my heart that it can happen there. And I went there and, and a good friend of mine, he's here today, he called me when I was considering taking that church and he said Brother Jones I just wanted you to know that I'm aware of the situation here and you will have to work well I'll confess to him today that I, I said yes sir I understand but I really didn't I had some dreams you see 
And I, working was not a part of those dreams. I, in my naivete, I didn't understand just what it would be like. And when it came to the place, our church note was increased by $250 a month suddenly. Uh, other problems arose. and It was not that my church cannot support me. It is a self-supporting church, but it can't support itself and me too. And when that arose, I, I really, to be honest with you, I felt discouraged. I felt as if my dreams were shattered. It wasn't happening like I thought it should happen. And I'm going to be very honest with you, I am aware that unfortunately there are those who, who have an attitude of condescension toward the working pastor, as if there is some type of failure in his ministry. And that is a shame. And I was aware of that. I knew that existed. I heard preachers talk, you see. I've been in many, many pastors' homes. Oh, he'll never do anything. All he's going to do is work. Pastor that little old bitty church. And this went through my mind. I said, what will my friends think? What will my brethren think? And then I began to pray about it. And I saw a man who had a dream among other men who one time was called from the back 40 tending his dad's sheep and there the preacher was in the living room. And they called him over. They said, come over here, son. And when they did, the preacher seemed to find an answer. And he spoke to this man's dad and said, this is the one. And he took a horn of oil and he anointed the head of David. And he proclaimed that the day was coming when he would be the king of Israel. But I didn't see David sitting on a throne. I didn't see David in all of his splendor and glory living in a palace. But I saw him living like an animal from cave to cave in the wilderness, hunted like a dog by his own father-in-law. And I seemed to find an empathy with David. And I, it seemed as if over the time I could hear him say, God, where is the dream of my kingship? What has this got to do with being the king of Israel? And I saw another man who had looked at Jesus Christ on a riverbank and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Even he had said, He must, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease and I find him in prison. He'd been there a long time. He couldn't understand why am I here? Why is this going on? And he sent word to Jesus, Are you really the one or should we search for another? And Jesus sent him word back, I am the one, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dumb talk, the blind see. And I came to realize that God is in control of my life. And if circumstances uh, dictate a course of action that did not fit in my dreams, uh, then I must believe that all things work together to the good of them that love the Lord. And as long as my motives are pure and as long as my heart is centered on Him, then I must walk through whatever valley, through whatever trial. It is not best for a pastor to work. It is physically and emotionally and spiritually draining. But if I need that, oh God, You didn't call me just to wear suits and stand behind a pulpit and carry a Thompson chain. But oh God, You called me to be Your servant. You called me to walk in Your footsteps. And if it's Gethsemane, I'll go. And if it's Calvary, I'll go. Whatever it takes, I want to do it. I want to be Your servant. And if I must walk through a valley of emotional and physical and spiritual uh, draining, 
I must pastor and work a job, then, oh God, let me be big enough and wise enough and brave enough. No matter what others feel, no matter how I feel, to do it. And then let me be big enough to quit it. I see a small man hunched over working in the Acme Tent Making Company in Corinth. Sewing. His eyes were bad. He had to get very close, possibly to the bread. He was sewing, making a tent. Two people walked up to him, a man and a woman. They stick out their hand. They say, Say, I hear you're the new man on the job. The small man looks up at them in a strange accent. He speaks and says, Yes, I'm, I'm new here. Just got in town. Well, my name's Aquila, and this is my wife, Priscilla. We're glad to meet you. And this working pastor smiled real big as he took their hand in his and said, Yeah, I'm glad to meet you too. God is in control of our lives and our ministries. Let us not be afraid to walk wherever He takes us, but let us be as big as we can be wherever we are. Why don't we praise Him together one more time. Thank you, Jesus. the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I I thank God for this message. I just appreciate Brother Jones being honest with us here today. Everything he had to say is just scripturally based and uh, I, I'm just praising God for it. No need to try to keep up with the Joneses, I'll tell you. <laughs> He's one and he can't, but we may as well forget him. One fellow said about the time you catch up with them, they'll refine heads and you'll have to do it again. So, 